FTBD is proudly brought to you by Black Dog Coaching, the only online fitness and nutrition company that work exclusively with people in the mental health space. While other fitness and nutrition companies focus purely on looking good, Black Dog Coaching offers full spectrum coaching that incorporates fitness, nutrition, mindset, habits, routines, and lifestyle choices to support positive mental health. So if you're battling the black dog, there's two things you need to do. Number one, contact your GP and arrange a mental health care plan with your mental health professional. And number two, contact Black Dog Coaching. Because while a mental health professional is a very important piece of the puzzle, it's just one small piece of the mental health pie. For the other 90%, Black Dog Coaching has got your back. For more information, check out www.blackdogcoaching forward slash information. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of FTBD. For those who are uninitiated, that stands for Fuck the Black Dog. This is a podcast that is dedicated to everything to do with mental health. And we talk to quite a few people who have been through the ringer, been to hell and back and come out the other side. And we actually have a very special guest today. Jody. you know, you're actually our very first female guest on the show. I have heard that. That's very exciting. Yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, it's different for me as well. Obviously, we started with Black Dog Brotherhood uh, well before the Sisterhood. So for those who don't know, the Sisterhood only launched in April 2020. So and this is what are we now November. So it's still reasonably new. And as such, we tend to have just had sort of male guests on. So congratulations on being the first female guest on FTBD. Thank you. I hope I can do the Sisterhood justice. Oh, I have no doubt. I have absolutely no doubt. Now, for those of you playing along at home, as always, we do have a bit of a trigger warning. Um, today's episode, we are going to be touching on domestic violence. So if you know that domestic violence is a trigger for you, if you are somebody that battles with domestic violence, then please be advised that during this episode, we are going to be covering that topic in depth. And if you do find that there is something that is triggering you, by all means, feel free to tune out and come back another time. Um, and if you are involved in a domestic violence situation at the moment, there is support out there. And we will talk about that a little bit at the end of the show. So Jody, tell the listeners out there a little bit about yourself before we crack into it. No dramas at all, Neil. Well, I'm 42. I'm a single mum and have been a second time around single mum. I currently work in the welfare system in Australia. Um, Prior to that, I have done a lot of management work. So I've managed big and small organisations, run events with 2,000 plus people, um, been to uni, done a couple of degrees. So a couple of degrees, not one, couple not of one degree, couple of degrees. No, couple of degrees. I've got a degree in accounting, a degree in management. Also in my time managing one particular organisation, I also qualified as a chef. So I've got a bit of a, a thirst for knowledge. So coming across this program and having a history with depression and anxiety over most of my adult life has been an absolute godsend. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All in all, it seems like you're in a pretty good place at the moment, but it wasn't always like that, was it? No, it hasn't been. I've had a bit of a tough run over the years. So I've had a few years that were sort of kind of hard to get through. And they're they're the years that we're going to be talking about at the moment. So again, for those playing along at home, Jodie was actually unfortunately involved in a rather severe domestic violence uh, relationship. So before we get into that, let's let's go right back to the very beginning. How did you actually meet your ex-partner? And looking back with the wisdom that you have now, do you think there were any signs early on that you may have missed at that point in time that there was danger on the horizon with that relationship? Well, I originally met my partner when I was in my oh, very early 20s, late teens. We originally met and had a little bit of a thing then. 
then he came back into my life. It was a random thing. He delivered a package to my house and we reconnected and we were sort of inseparable after that. Um, and that's how we reconnected. I probably should have put the dots together with how his behaviour was with very controlling the, and expecting me to do everything. That wasn't a partnership. It was very one-sided. Um, everything was his way or the highway. Um, and I did know that he had had dabbled in illicit drugs and nastier things that perhaps I should have seen as a red flag early on, but I sort of let it go because of my feelings at the time and not sort of being connected to my head, maybe thinking more with my heart at that time. Yeah. Okay. At what point do you think was the first point where you actually started to think, oh, wow, there, there could be some serious trouble here. How early into the relationship was that? My daughter would have probably been, was just after she was born. So probably a couple of weeks after she was born when he sort of was a bit wishy-washy with staying with us. Cause at the time we, we originally weren't living together. Um, and probably when he started to hide his drug use from me and I'd found out from other people, I think I shouldn't have let that go as easily as I didn't push that under the rug, having a new bubs. I probably, that was the least of my worries at that time. Yep. You think there was that fear of, uh, you know, you're a new mum and the only thing scarier than being a new mum would be being a single new mum? Yeah, I was absolutely petrified because I'd done it on my own once before. I sort of had this hope and ideal in my head that this would be, this would be my go. This would be my happy ending, white picket fence, that this was going to be the one. Yep. So early on in the relationship before it escalated, what, what type of uh, measures did he take to control you? You said that he was very controlling early on. What did that look like for you? For me, we, I didn't have a, I wasn't allowed to have a social life. Um, my spare time when I wasn't working was based around driving him around to band practice because he was the eternal going to be rock star. Um, never were, he never worked very rare, like occasional cashy. So it was all, I was the, I was the financial provider, even when we weren't living together. So if he fell short, I was the one picking up the slack. Um, when it was, he wanted to go out on a weekend, it was, I'd have to drop him off. Even with a new baby, I'd be picking him up at three, four o'clock in the morning to get him home. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. It must've been tough. It was looking back in hindsight, it was ridiculous, but yeah, at the time yeah, love's blind. And you did, just, you, did you have any family or friends who sort of pointed out that it wasn't right at that point in time or? Not at that time. I sort of kept a lot of our relationship very quiet from the, from everyone else. Um, to everyone else, we were the perfect little happy family with a new baby. So I kind of didn't let that on. There was the occasional rant every now and then. And, you know, I just put it down to the next day that I was tired. So people sort of like, oh yeah, they just had a bad moment. And in public when we were together, when his family were around or on the odd occasion, my family came to visit. He was the loving, attentive partner. Yeah. Perception is reality, isn't it? Correct. Yep. No one knows what goes on behind closed doors. Exactly. Exactly. How rapid was the escalation of the domestic violence when it started to get out of control? So probably late 2013 to early 2014, um, the financial control, the accusations about what I was doing with my money, um, all that sort of stuff started to escalate in early 2014. And that's that's when I made the decision that enough was enough. It was time for me to go and do what we needed to do to make myself and my daughter ha happy and safe. What did, a, what did a day in your life look like when the, the violence was at its worst? At its worst, I would 
get up in the morning, get my daughter ready, get her to daycare, I'd go to work. So I'd be going to work. I'd be working 10, 11 hour days. Um, then I'd have to come home, cook tea and didn't matter what I cooked for tea. It was never good enough. Um, if there wasn't enough money left for his bourbon or for his pot, shit would hit the fan again. Um, when at, it, at its worst, he had pushed me a couple of times and that was that was the nail in the coffin for me. That was, I, I swore I would never, ever let a man raise his hand to me at me and that was it, enough. I had to get out of that house. So there yeah. were nights that we hid for half an hour in the car, myself and my daughter, and I just locked myself in the car because I just needed to get out of that house. Yeah, okay. So when he uh, when he used drugs or when he drank, did it escalate very quickly whenever he was intoxicated? Usually it wasn't so much when he was using, it was more when he couldn't get what he wanted. So to be on the, on the opposite side of it, I suppose, the come down side of it, if he didn't get enough to keep him going, to keep him at that high, yep. that's when we're in trouble. Yeah, okay. And despite everything going on throughout all this period of time, everybody in your social circle, circle and your life basically believed that he was a saint, that he was an amazing dad, that he was an amazing partner, and they had no idea what was going on for you behind closed doors. That's correct. I'll, that was when I was managing a business at that time, and he turned up to all of our public functions, and he put on the, you know, doting dad and look after her in the pram and make sure she was looked after while I was working. But as soon as he left, it would be a barrage of text messages when are you coming home what are you doing who are you talking to um all that sort of thing but I never let my work colleagues or my management team know what was going on I still put up that facade that that I was living the I was living the dream as yeah. far as everyone else was concerned yeah what was the uh what was the catalyst for you to actually walk away what was the point where you literally said that's it I'm done I'm out of here the one and only time that he hit me yeah okay that that was it. That was enough. And I'm, I'm glad I stayed strong to that and stayed true to myself that that's always been something, something my dad instilled in, into me when I was younger, that you never, ever let someone lay a hand on you. That's not love. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And obviously having, uh, you know, your little girl in the house, how old was she at the time when this was going down? So she would have been around about four at the time when that happened. It yeah, did continue. Yeah. It did continue on for a number of years afterwards and we still have the odd recurrence so we get the occasional something's happened and he jumps up and down but it's easier to deal with now um, but we spent time in refuges we spent time in motels um, with the help of domestic violence services to get away from him um, he spent some time in jail after setting my car on fire twice you set your car on fire set my car on fire twice yep once when my daughter was home and that was the time that we completely lost the car um, and he'd sent someone around and I was beaten quite badly and ended up in hospital at one point after one um, incident. Yeah. Um, but he was never, he was always gutless enough to organise other people to do it. He so never he did it himself. he organised for somebody else to come and beat you. He didn't yes. do it himself. He actually no. organised for somebody else to come yep. and do it. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Was your daughter so, present when that happened? That time she wasn't, no. But she was home when the car was set on fire and that was quite traumatic for her to have to see. She still has a trigger now when... If we smell an electrical fire sort of smell now, she she's very triggered by it just by that smell. So yeah, yeah, quite hard. How much do you think she remembers of that period of time? There's a lot that she does remember, but despite what he went through and what he put me through, he up until when he went to jail, he was a really really good dad when he wasn't using. Um, 
amazing man with her and I've always let her know that that the only reason that dad was so sick is because of what he was doing with the drugs he was doing and she understands that and she knows um, that all dad has to do is get himself better yeah okay does she have a good relationship with him now she's a little she's 11 now so we're at a little bit at that eye roll stage that dad contacts once a month and sends a message I love you bub and I miss you and you've got no idea how much I love you and she rolls her eyes like yeah whatever dad but um she still has contact with his family. So I've tried to keep that door open for her despite the other things to give him a chance to heal for himself as well. Man, and I would just like to say that is an absolute credit to you as a mother and to you, you as a human being. Because after being through what you've been through, there'd be many women who would walk away and rightfully so, who would walk yep. away, take the kids and just completely shut that chapter of their life off. The fact that you're willing to let her maintain a communication channel with him, which by proxy means you have a communication channel with him. Yeah. That must present challenges of its own. It can be tough at times because he's, especially with his, his parents, they still think the sun shines out of him. They know what happened. They are in denial about the drugs. They're in denial about a lot of it, but that's her family at the end of the day. There are, we've got legal orders and paperwork and DV orders, family um, family orders in place to protect us. So I know that the very little communication that she does have is safe. I would never put her in a place, like I would never let her see him by herself at the moment. Yep. That's, there's not a chance. Um, and it would have to be very restricted and supervised. So, but I do want her to have that relationship with her dad. He is her dad after all. So, and that's, she'll get to a point where she's old enough to make those decisions for herself. She's not that far off being a teenager. And that's when kids forever. No. And I'd rather be honest and upfront with her now so that when she makes that decision, she can make an informed decision on her own. It's not full of hatred and spite. That is uh, that's exceptional parenting on your behalf. Thank you. It it really is. Um, As I said, a lot of women rightfully so would have just walked away and closed the chapter on that altogether. So that's an absolute credit to you. Thank you. Now, it sounds like after you actually left, it sounds like things actually escalated when you walked away. Obviously, sending somebody around to beat you, setting your car on fire. What other sort of stuff did he do after you actually walked away to try and regain control? Well, after we left, it was a cons before I went and got the police orders put in place. It was, I remember one particular Saturday night, um, we, were, we were at home at our new house in another town. I got in the space of, I think, four hours, something like 80 text messages. Yep. Um, there were other times I came home from being out at a function um, from a local sporting club and came home to find every single window in my house broken. Wow. Um, and having security did not, did not deter him at all. He did not, couldn't care less. So that sort of stuff and trying to spread rumours, I went through some really nasty stuff with having to get vile profiles removed of myself from various adult websites um he was creating profiles of you on adult websites yep and using a variation of the email address that i use um and putting up the most disgusting things i now i've got an adult son my son's 22 and for me normally you'd, you'd wash it off and you wouldn't worry about the websites but i've got a son and mates who possibly boys being boys might have a look around at those websites. And the last thing a child needs to see, or even a grown child needs to see is his mum and those sort of things being said on websites. So that, that was a massive fight with the, um, 
the Vic police. Um, yep. Then we had to take it further through the federal police to try and get some of those things taken down because they are international websites. So we don't have the same jurisdiction to get them taken down here. So that's actually a criminal offence as well, isn't it? Like it so is. that falls under the category of revenge porn. It does. But trying to prove that it was him was hard. Yeah. So that, that was the worst part. And I wasn't concerned about having him charged at the time about what was going on. I just wanted it down. Yeah. I was mortified. I'm a professional. I work with people in with the Department of Justice, with corrections. I was supervising programs like that at the time. And the last thing I needed was my reputation put into question because of something that someone else had done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whereabouts is he now? What sort of, how's he living at the moment? Has he got another partner? Has he moved on or is he still keeping an he, interest more in your life? He had, he did have another partner for a little while um, and she was fantastic. She was a great conduit between all of us so that my daughter could still have contact with her dad and it was safe for a period of time. He then pulled similar stuff on her, but she's a, she was a stronger person at the time than I was. And he started the same nonsense with her, but even while he was with her for the first 12 months of their relationship, he was still hassling me. And that as a woman and knowing that your partner's doing that and still focusing on another woman must have been incredibly hard for her. So um, we've still kept in touch after all this time. So we still check in with each other and she checks in on my daughter. Yep. As far as I'm aware, he, he doesn't work anymore because he's struggled to find work after having the conviction and going to jail which yep. is, you know, I really couldn't care less. It's, you know, you get what you're given. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well on yourself. And, yeah, he sort of couch surfs as far as I know and has done for the last couple of years. So we occasionally, like I said, he occasionally goes on a, a bit of a bender and we'll get the messages and they'll either be he wants me back or they'll go the other way and it will be incredibly nasty and threaten what he's going to do to me again. So, Do you yeah. think he's capable of change or do you think this is who he is and this is how he's going to be forever? Uh, look, he could be capable of change, but I don't think his perception of me as a person will ever change. I think he's always going to have that extreme hate for me and he has a disregard for the paperwork that we've got from the courts because he just gets a slap on the wrist every time he breaches the orders now. Um, that will never change. We will always be, the rest of my life will be waiting and wondering what's the next step? What's he going to do next? Yeah. Yeah. You think when your daughter's a little bit older and obviously if she chooses not to have anything to do with him, that that will be the sort of like the closing of that chapter for you or do you think it's going to be ongoing regardless? Depending on how she, I think because they've been a little bit distant, I think he he won't react too badly if she just stops answering him. If she, they'd been closer or if they do get closer and then it stops, I think that could be another trigger point for for what's happened in the past, definitely. Absolutely. Well, Jodie, you are an amazing woman. And as I said, the fact that, you know, going through what you've gone through, still, you know, working on your own personal development through Black Dog Sisterhood, tackling your own mental health issues head on, and the fact that you still leave that channel open for your daughter to have a relationship with her father, despite everything that's happened, that's a credit to you as a mother and as a human being. So from me to you, that's 100% well done. Thank you. Thank you. Now, obviously, there's a lot, we know there's a lot, a lot of women out there, or a lot of people, because it does go both ways, but obviously, it's more women at the uh, in, on the DV spectrum. What advice do you have for any woman out there at the moment who's trapped in a DV situation and needs to get out? Don't be scared to talk to someone. Um, 
letting people know what's going on. It's, it's not a bad thing. Don't always be that strong person. Breaking down in front of someone and crying while you tell them what's going on is not a bad thing. They will see and they will know what's going on. They will understand, find someone, even if it means if you're involved in the welfare system now and you have to go into maybe your local Centrelink office and have a chat to someone there, ring up and speak to a social worker online. There's places like the Orange Door. Just speak up and say something and don't give up if one door gets shut in your face because they can't help you. Just keep at it until you can find someone and that right connection with the right person who's going to help you all the way through and hold your hand and make sure you're okay. Awesome. How did you actually make your breakaway? Was it a gradual thing or did you just literally grab grab your daughter and go there on the spot or was it more of a sort of gradual sort of, you know, move money aside, ready to make the move. And then there's others who just go, that's it. I'm out. They grab everything and leg it. What I did was I went and I had some savings, some money hidden. So I had that sort of secret money put away that my dad always told me I should have for case of emergencies. I went and got myself a rental property in another town. Um, when we moved in, we had a mattress on the floor and that's all we had, but we had a roof over our head. Yeah. Um, but I can completely understand those people that just have to get up and go. And that's why these organisations um, are out there to help people. There are hotlines in each state um, to contact that can help you with finding somewhere for the night if you need to get out on the spot. You don't need to necessarily involve the police straight up. Go to one of those organisations and they will help you go through the right channels to make sure that you're safe. I would uh, I would strongly recommend if it is in particular an actual violence situation, then don't be afraid to get the police involved. Correct, definitely. I know, I know quite a few police officers and I know that they, uh, they don't look kindly on DV perpetrators. So if there's uh, actual violence involved, I would 100% recommend getting the police involved. Yep, yep, definitely. But having a chat to someone first, you know, to maybe get your head around what's going on, sometimes that can help as well. But definitely if something's going on, make sure you let someone know, have a, a safe word or a safe, something that you can message a friend if something's going on that they can, doesn't matter who it is, that you don't have to tell them your story, have that safe word, SMS that to someone. Mine used to be pizza. That yep. if they knew something was, if I, all I had to do was message pizza, the police would be called. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yep. That's really good. Yep. I actually saw something on Facebook the other day and it's uh, it's a visual signal for if you're on Zoom, like we are now. And there was a woman yep. that actually showed actual footage of a woman talking to a friend and she made a hand signal. I can't remember what it was, but she made a hand signal in front of a chest so that nobody behind could see. Yeah. Uh, apparently it's a signal for help. For, it's a domestic violence signal for help as well. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good because obviously, you know, the way of the future is more FaceTime and, and Zoom calls and that. So um, yeah. I thought that was really, really good. And obviously having safe words like that as well with people that you trust so that somebody can call the police on your behalf. That's really. Yeah. Or having a bag pack that's left at a mate's place so that if you need to, you can take off and you don't have to worry about grabbing stuff. Have yep. that bag pack where you've got to change your clothes for you and your little ones yep. and you can just head off. Fantastic. Let's finish this on a positive note, Jodie. I'd like, if you don't mind, I'd like to invite you to share your journey of recovery. So since leaving and since, you know, working towards getting back on your feet, um, your time in the sisterhood, the work that you've done so far, let's finish on a positive note. And I'd like for you to share how far you've come since leaving that relationship. Since I've left that relationship, it has been a number of years, but I have definitely learned a lot about myself and a lot about taking back my control um, and believing in myself a lot more and giving, you know, 
to put it, you know, another way, blowing smoke up my own ass to say, <laughs> I know, I know how good I am. I am more worthy than what I thought I was back then. Has taken a long time to get back to that place. What I have learned through the Black Dog Sisterhood, though, has made it's reinforced all those things that people have told me bits and pieces of in the past. But this has definitely been, it's all in one package. It's there. It's not you're not shopping around looking at different places to get that help. And for me. I've had massive change over the last few months and realized that part of my coping mechanism over the last few years has been alcohol. I've been able to chat to people within the brotherhood and in other groups as well um, to get some help. And that's made a massive change for me, my clarity and the way I think now, the way I've been able to deal with pain management recently after having an operation with the breathing techniques um, and all that sort of the meditation has made my life so much better over the last few months. That's really, really good to hear. And we are incredibly, incredibly proud of what you've been able to achieve in what really is a relatively short time. You're eight weeks in now. So, so two, two months you've been with the program and the changes have been absolutely phenomenal. And we, we couldn't be prouder of you. No, thank you. You're most welcome. Jody. thank you so much for your time today. And more importantly, thank you so much for your honesty. I know there's going to be a lot of women out there who are going to take some inspiration and some motivation from this and i reckon there may even be a few women who may make the decision to you know move themselves out of that domestic violence situation sooner rather than later as as a result of hearing this so thank you very much for your time today not a problem and as as always ladies if you're out there and you're listening you are in a domestic violence situation please be aware that you are not alone there are avenues out there um, reach out to myself, reach out to Jody. We can uh, try and point you in the right direction. There's always support and we're more than happy to do our bit to try and help you out. Jody, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. Enjoy the rest of your day and thank you to everyone out there for listening.